Right. People I actually know might be listening to this podcast, John. (laughs) I think that is over my uh, rudeness line. Sorry, John. Sorry, Liz. It was quite funny. It is quite funny. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very 70th episode of Oxathorpe, the podcast for science fiction and science fiction fandom, which is coming to you on the 10th of November 2022. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. And we have some letters of comment. In fact, we have two episodes worth of letters of comment, because actually we sneakily recorded 69 before you had listened to 68. Bonus letters all around. Dude. Because Raj says that the correct response to 69 is dude, as per Messrs Preston and Logan. And that is fair comment, Raj. When there is a genre uh, callback, we should always do the genre one, right? Yeah, that's fair. Isn't that like a very gender-biased comment? I think we established quite early on that Chaps was gender-neutral. I believe it was an episode title. Yeah, that's fair. So dudes is also gender neutral? For the purposes of responding to the number 69 in a feminist way, I feel that dudes can be gender neutral. Write in, feminists. All of you. No, no, no. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners won't know this, but Liz has recently received, uh, recently purchased two new fountain pens so she can write twice. (laughs) You can also do that mirror writing where you have a fountain pen in each hand and and be all Carolian. So, Raj also notes there were no graphs, and I did forget to do the graphs. Basically, it's just been, I don't know, the world seemed to have been very manic in the last few months, and so I forgot to do the graphs. I'm very sorry, I will do graphs for next time. Were there going to be graphs? There were going to be graphs. I was going to do a graph of the bimodal distribution of the Hugo voting, and I completely forgot. Yeah. So I will do that, I promise. And then, what makes Discovery the worst space shuttle other than being in a big garage? And that is the only thing. Like, I don't have a beef with Discovery's uh, track record as a scientific vehicle. It is just the way it is displayed. I think if you're going to go and see the space shuttles, there are more exciting space shuttles to see museum-wise. Give us your ranking of space shuttles, which are the most exciting, from most exciting to least exciting museum-wise, please, John. Atlantis is the best space shuttle, and then... I think Endeavour is the second best space shuttle and Discovery is the third best. I haven't seen Enterprise yet. Um, I've only just started Voyager, but I'll get there eventually. That was a joke, listeners. You can tell from the fact that both Alison and Liz are studiously ignoring it. (laughs) Do you have a a tumbleweed thing to put on your stream deck? You know, I could get a stream deck and then I could just press a tumbleweed button every time John makes a joke. (laughs) Yep, I'm, I'm down. And then, and then John will edit them straight out again. <laughs> oh, we need to do a guest edit, Liz. Problem is, that would be work. So it's not likely to happen. Raj wrote to us about episode 68 and says that he disagrees with me. Listening from number one was a brilliant experience and says that we're all going to get drinks out of it. So recommends against discouraging it too much. And that, I mean, naked self-interest is a powerful motivator. When are we seeing you, Raj? I mean, presumably Eastercon. Whoa! Yeah, you can definitely buy us drinks. 
I mean, and if Liz isn't there, we will have Liz's drink for her um, because we're heroes. And we can phone her up. Mm. We can drink Liz's drink at her. There will be no phoning me up while you are drinking my drinks. I will accept one or the other, but not both. Raj also says that they've been a friend of Glasgow since very early and got an email saying they were being upgraded to full attending without any extra payments. They're not sure where the £20 that I mentioned comes from. I don't think anyone else owes Glasgow £20. I think it is just me. And it's a long story involving a contraceptive and a time machine, and we don't have time to go into it here. That was a reference. I did try and get Eastercon to owe me a penny, but instead of going for a complicated process, I just told them that their form was not quite right. That was great. Thank you for getting in touch, Raj. And for continuing to listen at now, like the, you know, the buzz of listening to 90 episodes in two weeks as one off. Esther wrote to us. Esther did. She wrote us a long email explaining um, some of the background as to why the Glasgow website was complicated, saying they think they should have sorted it out by now, but saying critically that Badger is the best cat. Badger is the best cat. Basically, Esther sent us an email telling us to shove it up our back end. Only people (laughs) who have read the email know why that's funny, which means it's us three and Esther. Because Esther didn't at all say that, but uh, it pleases me to lie. She said, you're very welcome to cut it all apart from the bit about Badger being the best cat. You have to say that on the podcast. I mean, that is fine. I would say that every week if necessary. By quoting Esther out of context, John, we have just ensured us that Esther will send us another email. I think she's good. I think she's good. Really, it's cool. Bah, ah, ah, ah. Yeah, and it's very nice of Esther to take the time to uh, write to us and explain things because I imagine uh, she is basically permanently busy for the next two years. And whose fault is that? We love you, Esther. We love Glasgow. It's the best world con. And Badger is the best cat. Glasgow is the best world con. Badger is the best cat. Karen Schaefer is the only person to respond to my exhortation to the listeners to email if you vote for best editor, and she emailed to say that she doesn't. Uh, So as far as I could tell, literally none of our listenership does, uh, which I think says a lot about the viability of the category in general. Fair. Sorry, editors. But it's not... Editors, obviously, do a great job and deserve recognition. The Hugos do a terrible job of providing a mechanism by which that can happen, I think is where I'm at on this. Uh, Karen does suggest best editor awards be better given as a nebula judged by a professional audience, which, yeah, I mean, isn't going to work in the Hugos because that's not how the Hugos work. But I think there is maybe some truth to that or, you know, kind of like how the the Oscars work of having like specialists vote on particular specialist categories or at least create a shortlist in particular categories. You know, that might be interesting to have like an editor voted shortlist of editors for a public vote or something similar. I know this will never happen in the Hugos, but it's fun to speculate. I'm looking forward to the Batties, which is Liz's awards, uh, <laughs> recognising editors. The Batties. I'm not giving out any awards, recognising editors. I'm not giving out any awards. But if I did, they'd look... What would you give awards for if you were giving awards, Liz? <sighs> I don't know. Don't put me on the spot. Best award trophy. You were going to talk about Mark Plummer's letter, Alison. I was. Mark Plummer wrote to correct um, John's um, statement about... ISBNs and ISSNs. He says he didn't say anything about that in terms of fanzine and British Library deposits because Banana Wings doesn't have one and they were contacted by the British Library and told they had to deposit copies. So I'm like, well, what did Plock do? I mean, presumably at some point the British Library decided that Banana Wings was worthwhile and Plockter was trivial. I mean, 
It's good to know that the British Library has an accurate impression of the British fanzine landscape, isn't it? Yeah, you only need to deposit copies if there's a print edition, apparently. And there were there were online editions for of Octothorpe, so maybe they just kind of went, oh, the Wayback Machine will do. Did you mean to up there or, or Plockter? I probably meant Plockter. What did I say? Did it make any sense? Does anything make any sense? No, because you said there are print editions of Octothorpe and like we haven't been talking about putting Octothorpe in the British Library because that would be weird. Hey, uh, British Library, would you like Octothorpe? To be fair, Liz, I assumed you knew that every episode I make, I put on a USB stick and mail it straight to the British Library. I don't know what they do with them. <laughs> Where they file it in their big round reading bin. Say, do they, <laughs> say, do they just mail it straight back? <laughs> Mark said, as our resident fan historian, Alison, will undoubtedly already know, I did not know this, obviously, because I am not a fan historian. Um... The new Wusfus memberships were a reversion to the way that things used to be done. You paid to join the convention, and then you paid an attending supplement if you were planning to go. See 1956, where it says, of Luncon, to join the convention, it will cost fans $1. Then it will cost them another dollar if they attend. How was the first Luncon, Alison? Fuck off, John. <laughs> Thank you very much to Mark for writing in. We also heard from Nicholas White on the subject of Hugo nominations, which basically he says, Alice is right that works don't include people. The logic he gives is that people can be eligible in both categories and so moving them wouldn't make sense. I do kind of feel like if someone's clearly not eligible in one category and is clearly eligible in the other, it would absolutely make sense again. So I I, I still think that's a hole, but, um, but no, fair enough. It is good to know that that is how it works. What if you move someone? What if you move nominations for someone who was definitely not eligible uh, in both, but you didn't move nominations for someone who, say, you know, edited lots and lots of novels and a small amount of short fiction, therefore would be like technically eligible in both, but much more likely to be nominated in one? It gets tricky. No, it's a good point. It is a good point. Christopher J. Garcia. He says that he sent issues of Journey Planet to the British Library and also to the Library of Congress, the National Library of Ireland, the National Library of Australia and a few universities and other libraries. And apparently the University of California, Riverside, has asked Chris to send a USB stick of everything he's ever done to them, but he hasn't done it yet. UC Riverside have a, don't they have a huge SF library or SF collection? Sorry, I was just contemplating a USB stick containing everything Chris Garcia has ever done. It doesn't include the poos. How many terabytes uh, would you need for the completed works of Chris Garcia? Chris, write in and let us know. Yeah, we expect you to have done this by the next time we record, and we expect to know exactly how many bytes it is. To the bite, no rounding. He also says about uh, episode 69 in his letter regarding that. He has lots of opinions about Hugos. Uh, He thinks there should be as many Hugos as Oscars. I don't know how many Oscars there are. He also says, despite the complete opaqueness of EPH, he thinks it's worked and is working. And um, yeah, I agree with that, I think. Uh, anyone else got any opinions? Don't the Oscars have so many Oscars that they basically present a load of them that they think will be less popular to television audience at a separate ceremony? Yeah, so, so that's the problem, is that if we have very many more Hugos, some of them get passed out to a different ceremony. And guess who gets put into the different ceremony? Best editor. <laughs> no it chance. should be a continually moving feast based on how many votes they got the previous year <laughs> <laughs> oh 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 liz i would be very up for the hugos being a lot more like the premier league <laughs> there could be a playoff 
Fiona Moore wrote to us on episode 67 um, saying that they've now shut the boat ride at Phantom Peak, presumably because of the number of people who got duckings as the weather got colder. We we got very wet, wet on that ride. It turns out that you know how boats have like sides so that if the boat rocks a bit, water doesn't come in. <laughs> turns out that was a good innovation. I thought all boats just were infinite planes <laughs> do you know that boats have sides yeah this boat was a not very infinite plane with with do they have corners or do they have vertices that's the question octothorpe vertex corner that's one for anyone who has listened from the very early days should that be octothorpe corner vertex ah we also had peter sullivan wrote in to say that he is listening on bluetooth enabled hearing aids so he can hear us right in his ears and farah mendelson responded to say that farah also does this so um hurrah for hearing aids i'm very flattered that you choose to basically pipe us directly into your brains yep what's the news peeps there isn't really that much news. Yay! And that was the Octothorpe Podcast. <laughs> Despite it being a while since we recorded, it seems to have been an unusually quiet season for science fiction science fiction fandom news. Um, I'm saying that because then I know everyone's going to write into us to tell us which bits of news we missed. What we should do is we should do, you know when there's not much news on the actual news and they do loads of like human interest stories, we could just spend ages talking about Johnny and his new cat. I feel that is more of a visual story. Very good cat, though. <laughs> is a good cat. Anyway, news. There was, I mean, there was some news. After we said the most exciting thing on the Arthur C. Clarke Award shortlist was Deep Wheel Orcadia by Harry Josephine Giles, it duly won the Arthur C. Clarke Award. So congratulations. Yes. Yes. And you, it turns out you can get it as an audiobook narrated by the author. So that's probably what I will do. Oh. Yes, I don't think none of us were at the Clark Ward ceremony, but I saw photos. It looks like this year I was at the Science Museum, tying in with an exhibit at the Science Museum that looks pretty good. A bunch of us are going to the Science Fiction Exhibition at the Science Museum on the morning of the 25th of November. So do come along if you'd like to. Just book your ticket for 11 o'clock and, um, and we'll see you there. It was curated by Glyn Morgan, who has written an accompanying book or edited an accompanying book, which Rachel Livermore has a chapter in. Well, so that looks very good. And I'm excited to have a look at it. But I'm also excited to go to the exhibition. So I am pretty excited. Are you going to the exhibition as well, John? I mean, at some point, haven't made much firm plans. Yeah, it's running till next year. So well done to Harry Josephine Giles. I still haven't read any of the Arthur Clark Award nominees, but I will get round to it eventually, probably. Uh, and there were a couple of shortlist reviews. Uh, I think there's one on Strange Horizons, which I will pop in the comments. Show notes, not comments. Pop in the show notes. Don't forget to like and subscribe, listeners. Alison, tell us about Pemicon and the emails you have received from them. I am, I suppose I'm a supporting member of Pemicon. And they've sent me an email saying you're a supporting member of Pemicon and here's what you need to do to upgrade to attend. And I'm a supporting member of Pemicon because I accidentally got pissed and spent $60 on a moose t-shirt at their party at ChaiCon, which is why you should never go to parties at Wilcons. <laughs> The moral of the story is don't party, listeners. 
And I was pissed because I had been drinking pints and pints of James Bacon's toilet water. And I don't know how much alcohol is in it. Dave O'Neill's toilet water? It was David O'Neill's toilet pims earlier in the weekend. And then later in the weekend, it was toilet water, said James. And Dave O'Neill was like, oh, oh God, he's put passion. Step aside for one minute and he's put passion fruit in it. (laughs) And it was repulsive but alcoholic, like so many people I know. But the the excellent thing about this is that Alison gets regular emails from Pemicon now reminding her that she got too drunk and bought a moose t-shirt, which is amazing. And that if I would like, I could buy another moose t-shirt because they have more moose t-shirts for the con. Yes, they immediately changed the moose t-shirt when they became Pemicon. Yeah, so I bought the moose t-shirt and then and then eight hours later, it was it was out of date when they announced the, the convention. Well, and given that you're doing Glasgow merch, I hope you're taking copious notes because this is a merchandise par excellence. Pretty much, yeah. So, But I have got a nice moose t-shirt. I mean, have you bought another moose t-shirt now then? Not yet. <laughs> Boo. Oh, God, how drunk was I? You were quite drunk. I don't know. I think I'd gone to bed at the point you purchased this T-shirt. This is the problem, right? <laughs> it seems very likely, doesn't it? Yes. Was that the night when you stayed up and drank margaritas? No, different night. Okay. Oh. <laughs> no. Oh, no, I got very drunk on several nights at Chicago. Sorry, guys. And I stopped using John's excellent app called Moderation that tells you how much you've had to drink and, and goes nah later in the evening. Have pancakes that have jam on them made by listener to the podcast Meg. Ooh. Very good. Anyway, do you want to talk about the First Nations Fund, which is why we were bringing up Femicon? So Femicon have announced their First Nations Travel Fund, and they have said that they are committed to reserving... 10% of their adult attending memberships or $4,000 Canadian dollars, whichever is greater, to assist Indigenous science fiction and fantasy fans to travel to Winnipeg. This fund will be under the direction of Indigenous groups who will contact Pemicon to request funds for individuals they believe should be assisted to travel. Pemicon will not make decisions about who is eligible for funding. Um, and they haven't, um, I don't think they've released more information than that. There is a link in the show notes. That's quite neat. I like it. I think it's very neat. And Alison, you could now think of it as buying a quite nice T-shirt and also making a large donation to the First Nations Fund, if that helps with your T-shirt buying. I could write to them and say, could you not give me a supporting membership and instead donate my purchase, the purchase price of that T-shirt to the First Nations Fund rather than using it for the General Convention Fund, which is presumably what I actually supported. Yeah, but they're not going to, you know, the more money they get, the more they'll have for that. And it's not like that you, as a sporting member, you're going to cost them much money anyway, were you? No, don't suppose so. I'm an idiot. And you might want your sporting membership anyway, if you fancy voting on the NASFIC. Ooh, the NASFIC for? 24, presumably. Glasgow. Mm-hmm. 24 NASFIC, which I probably do care about, don't I? Do you? I don't know. I don't feel I should care about, but nevertheless... I'm probably not going. Yeah, I mean... Unless it's in Glasgow, but it seems unlikely. Because it would be very convenient if we organised the NASFIC in Glasgow for the week before the Worldcon. It would be just great because everyone could just do both conventions. I feel this is constitutionally not allowed. I believe no matter how you read the section of the Worcester Constitution on the definition of North America, it is difficult to put Scotland in it. Yeah. Okay, we will hold it in the Canadian Embassy in Edinburgh. Canadian Embassy, please write in. 
Um, <laughs> also, I don't think, surely it would be a consulate. Yeah, is there a Canadian embassy in uh, in Edinburgh? Well, because there's only one embassy, right? And presumably it is in London. <laughs> I'm presuming. I, it was just a joke. I mean, I understand that it needed to be microanalyzed. Look, right. If your jokes are not factually accurate jokes about Canadian international relations, are they really jokes? <laughs> we were then going to talk about Chengdu. Liz, do you want to get started on Chengdu? Yes, so the reason I was going to bring up Chengdu is because I think I went to their website to see if there was any news about Chengdu and realised that I could now log into their website. So I log in and uh, I have an account on their website and it shows me I have uh, I have a, a WUSFUS membership, a 2023 Hugo Award voting rights membership, physical admission, online admission and voting rights for 2025. Yay! I'm not quite sure why they are listed as five different categories, but I have caught all the Chengdu Pokemon. So I assume anyone else who uh, voted <laughs> at Discon can now log in and do the same and check everything is fine in their account. What I can't work out is if it's actually possible to buy a new admission. I mean, there is clearly a, there's clearly a form where you can try and do it, but they don't have credit card payments up and running yet. Can you pay by WeChat? Yeah, so you can pay by uh, WeChat and Alipay, I think. And there is a thing saying that you can pay by transferring fees directly to our collaborator, but I haven't gone through the whole form to figure out if that actually works because I'd have to fill in a whole form and I don't actually want to buy um, another membership. Because we're already attending. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, they may just end up with a US agent and that would be perfectly sensible. And I could theoretically pay by WeChat, but I don't think I've set up a credit card with WeChat. So, but that's that's on me, you know. But having spent a while this week having to get my Line account re-verified so that I could pay because it's a mechanism I use to pay train fares, basically. You can set up everything in Line, but it won't properly validate your payment stuff until you fully do the Know Your Customer thing, which in my case required me to send them two separate forms of ID, like as selfies next to my face. So I suspect you're going to have a lot of problems. What is Line? So Line, Line is it's a Japanese social messaging and everything app. You know, in the way you have now everything apps. It's a Japanese one, but it's very, very widely used in Thailand. So I can link it up to the way I pay my like train fares using a card on the train system in Bangkok and use it so I can recharge my train card through that. And it stopped working because I hadn't apparently fully verified my identity. Um, and so I have now done that, but it took a while. But until you actually try and pay for something, you wouldn't know you weren't properly verified. So I suspect WeChat is going to be the same. But you could give it a go. I had to do quite a bit of verification to get the chat, the account in the first place, but maybe not enough. When I try and click on the login link I've been sent, I get Chinese characters that say incorrect password. But I'm not using a password, so I am confused by that. Did you request a login thing and it gives you... The- Oh, no, no, it worked. It worked if I press the link in the second email that just arrived. I don't understand why there are two. But I am in. Uh, yeah, that sort of thing where if you've got... This is the thing I'm finding with, like, login emails, because I was working with a very rubbish email login system for something. If you accidentally request two, the first one gets automatically cancelled, but the second one hasn't arrived. So, anyway, you're in. Yeah. 
I had to translate this from Chinese listeners. Uh, thank you for participating in site selection vote of the 2023 World Science Fiction Congress. You have obtained membership in Chengdu 2023 World Science Fiction Congress and enjoy the corresponding online and offline participation rights. And I've got WUSFUS membership, physical admission, online admission, and about credit card payment. No, hang on, what? This will let me buy... How do I get to the one I've actually got? Hmm. Purchase history? No, look at Worldcon rights. The thing saying Worldcon rights tied to this email. Oh, yes, yes, I see it. Yep, I have the same ones that Liz has. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yes. So I just need to go and do this process, but it's probably not that exciting to do it live on the podcast. You do have to click the big button that says register and then log into their payment page to get there because you're basically logging into the account you have in their payment portal, which has their product associated with it. So it's a little bit counterintuitive, but it does appear to be there. And they said on their main website, they'd send an email to people who voted. So if you haven't had the email yet, presumably there will be one. I have the right to bid in site selection in 2023 for the 2025 Worldcon. And at the moment, there is only one on the docket, which is Seattle. So I will be going and pretending to be the Starbucks logo in front of the first Starbucks. If Before we go off the subject of Chengdu, though, we have to say guest of honour choice, still shit. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I'd say problematic, but we're beyond problematic, aren't we, really? We are. We're beyond problematic here. This isn't really a... Uh, this, is a this is a mess. Yeah. And Chengdu, as far as I can tell, just completely silent. Yeah. On most things since, since Shikon, really. When it reflects poorly on Chengdu, and it reflects poorly on... Maybe this is unfair, but I think if I was a guest of honour on that ballot, I would be saying to Chengdu one of us goes and if it's not them it's me so i'm a little bit surprised robert j sawyer is still a chengdu guest of honor if i'm honest it's quite a battle of this yes so so yeah i uh it's just horrible i do want to say we don't actually know to be fair we don't actually know whether the other guests are trying to put pressure on behind the scenes which they may feel is a you know it may it can be more effective putting pressure on them while still guests of honor just declaring they won't be a guest of honour. But there probably is a point that we are approaching. That is a wise and fair comment, Liz. Can I do a little plug for Glasgow? Yeah, go on. One of the things that this underlines for me is the importance of engaging with the community as you as you build your convention. And the Glasgow, Glasgow's got a community group on Facebook already up and running. It has 800 members. It has people posting about all sorts of things. They're, they're two years out. They're already getting going with this. And I think that's very commendable. No, I mean, Glasgow are doing a phenomenal job of um, talking to and involving the community which is largely thanks to the work of the two promotions DHs who are Matt Calvert and the amazing Meg McDonald. World Fantasy Con are going to be in Birmingham, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I can't tell. I kind of looked on the internet to see at what point the result is announced, but I assume it's basically after they all get up later today. And that's why why we don't know yet. But Farrah Mendelssohn and Karen Fishick are in New Orleans at the moment, enjoying New Orleans and also the World Fantasy Convention, also bidding to bring it to the Birmingham Hitcher. Wait, is Farrah bidding? I think so. I'm not at all sure that Farrah is involved. Oh. 
Because all I can see is it's Karen Fishwick and HWS events. So picture of them. Yes. Doesn't say that Farah is bidding for BUFC. Just says that Farah is there next to the person bidding. Ah, uh, yes. And says, so stop us and ask about it. But doesn't explicitly say, Farah, are you involved in this bid? And if you are, hurrah. And if not, also hurrah. You do you. Will we go to World Fantasy in Birmingham? Have you ever been to a World Fantasy Con before, either of you? I've never been. Yeah, I went to the one in Brighton. I enjoyed my weekend in Brighton. I had a nice enough time, but it is very much aimed at professionals. And the vibe I got was very much, this is a con for professionals. And anyone else who comes along, that's nice, but we're not really aimed at you. I also took a day out in the middle to go to a wedding. So I maybe did not do the full con experience. I might go to World Fantasy Convention in Birmingham if enough of my pals are going, which they might be. But I feel like it's not really a convention for me and my main interests. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I went because it was in the UK. It's very rarely in the UK. I thought it would be fun to go along and see. And I found I got a very cheap early membership and a very cheap hotel room nearby in the hotel that the convention explicitly said, probably shouldn't stay here because it's really noisy. And uh, it was. (laughs) It was a travel lodge. Um, And so I had a perfectly nice time, but I wouldn't say it was such a great convention experience that I feel compelled to go back. And it was also the one where basically didn't really have a code of conduct and their like access was awful. The registration was in, I think, a room which you could only access via stairs and that kind of thing. So I liked it, but nothing about it made me think, yes, I definitely want to go back. But I think this one is a, it looks like a sort of completely different team who have been running UK fantasy cons. And so, yeah, running a world fantasy con sounds like a a perfectly sensible step. And I'm sure it'd be very nice, but it's probably not something that's going to like draw me back to the UK to go to if I'm not here. To be fair for you, the maths, the maths on this works quite a lot differently to us, right? Because Thailand is a lot further from Birmingham. Yeah, although 2025 is a long way away. The next thing on the show notes is Novacon excitement, question mark. (laughs) What I like about this is that Alison is the one keeping us on topic. Who wrote Novacon excitement, question mark, on the show notes? Me, because I didn't know if anyone was excited. (laughs) Is anyone excited? I have, I mean, I'm obviously excited for Novacon because by then I will be back using an app that tells me not to drink too much. And so therefore I will drink moderately throughout. Good. Yeah, sensible. Hmm. Sounds plausible, doesn't it? I am looking forward to Novacon, which is um, next weekend. It's next weekend. Oh, okay. By the time this episode drops, I believe the fish lifters will already be in Buxton. Yeah. We're not going up till the Friday. Uh, We've kind of dithered back and forwards on whether we were going to go by train or car, but I think we're actually going to go by car because I think we're worried about train strikes. And the fish lifters are solving this by going a day early. I believe the train strikes have been called off. But equally, I believe Buxton is a pain in the arse to get to by train anyway. Um, yeah, but I much prefer train to... It's not really, for conventions for me, it's not so much the pain of getting there. It's how much stuff you have to take. And then also how much you're going to need a car once you're there. And the answer in Buxton is not at all because cause that hotel is right by the station and also right by everywhere else in a way that I really like. So I am very much looking forward to going back to Novacon and having fun and i think i'm trading there you've you've got a week to sort that one out (laughs) i've got about four days i'm a bit worried that 
that, that by taking holiday this week, I've had a lovely relaxing holiday by essentially putting all the things I had to do before Novacon out of my mind completely for for five days. And I'm not sure that was very healthy. But, you know, it's been, it's been great. I've had a lovely time. What I like about this is that by asking this innocent question in the show notes, I basically caused Alison existential dread. So sorry, sorry Alison. I've made a note of it for talking to my therapist. Anyone else on? Anyone else excited about Novacon? Write in, people. I am not going to Novacon. I don't think Liz is going to Novacon either. I am not. But hello to all our listeners who are listening to Dr. Thorpe on their way to Novacon. You can now um, either very quickly write a letter about how excited you are or tell us how it was. Yes, indeed. I did realise what I was going to say about um, Novacon, which is that um, Helena McCallum is doing the programme and wrote to me and said, would you like to be on this item that looks pretty interesting? And I, I was very excited because nobody ever asked me to be on the programme at Novacon. So so that was thrilling. And it was a great show that I had to write back and say, no, because it's at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning and I have booked a hangover for 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. So I won't be at this item. Hang on. You said no one ever invites you to be on programme at Novacon. Didn't you do a recording of this very podcast at Novacon last year? Vital to note that I wouldn't say we were invited. I would say we <laughs> we we forced our way into a room with an iPad and and made Esther buy us drinks. We're awful. Thank you, Esther. Yeah, any listener who'd like to buy me a drink at Novacon is is very welcome because I still have no money. Um, yeah, I'm a bit sad I'm not going, but equally, yep, I'm sure everyone who does go will have a great time. And yeah, please write in and tell us how good a time you had. It's nice to see Novacon still going because I was worried they would sort of get to 50 and stop, but they have not. So it's nice that even though I very rarely actually get to go, that it does give everyone the opportunity to go and have a nice time hanging out in Buxton. Actually, the problem is this episode is all pre-show and no content. I feel like we've gone through a, a lot of important fanish topics of the day and now we're going to do picks. Picks. We've been so on topic that to reward ourselves, we're going to do picks. So my pick is I have gone slightly retro because at some point in the past when it was uh, on sale, I bought the complete books of Earthsea and then decided it was time for a reread. And in fact, to get through, I've got through the first four and I don't think I ever actually read Tahani before. And it's, it's really interesting rereading them. They hold it very well. But if you read them all in a row, you can also see kind of the development going through the characters, especially in Tahani being written much later on. And as uh, Le Guin mentions in the, the foreword to it, kind of a book she couldn't write until she was much further on in her personal development, tackling the kind of feminist issues that are in that one. Because when you read it, it just put into context how sparse the female characters are in the first few books and how much was missing from like the the point of view of any of the women in this world and then it's kind of all there in the the fourth book i mean it's there in the second book to some extent but around magic and so on and the division between wizards and witches is all very interestingly explored anyway they yeah hold up really nicely they're four short fun reads in a really nice world and i enjoyed revisiting it and i've got the the books of earthsea the the collected uh, short fiction to go nice I need to read Earthsea. I've got the first book on my iPad, but I haven't. it hasn't bubbled to the top of my to-read list yet, but I know that there's a deficiency in my education that I need to address. 
Yeah, I mean, there's obviously like there's always lots of discussion around like, oh, when people recommend books that people should read and it's like, stop recommending books from your youth because they're not always great. Maybe we should not be recommending people things written in the 60s and 70s. But actually, I do think these hold up. I'm not sure that, you know, the first things I would recommend to someone. Yeah. yeah. But I think they really, they will reward you reading them. No, and I think that's the thing, right? You've got to, you've got to temper recommendations of, you don't want to recommend people not read any science fiction from the old days. It's just about whether or not, it's about having a balance, I think, between the old and the new. And Earth is one of the ones I do want to read from the old. Yeah, and it's also considering that stuff you actually read 20, 30 years ago um, may read very differently now. But having, you know, read them at, I mean, I think I read the first one probably 10 or 15 years ago. And as I said, I only got to the last ones recently. You know, there's something where I feel confident recommending them, not something where it's like, oh, well, I read those 20 years ago, but I bet they're still great. And then if I went back and reread them, maybe they would not be. Hmm. From Earth Sea to the North Sea. <laughs> ah. Yes, okay. Alison made me go first just for that joke. I did. It's not that much of a joke. I went up to Newcastle last weekend, which is where John lives. So I got to see John, which was nice. And Did you go to play with John's lightsaber? I He did not let anyone else play with his lightsaber, I don't think. Or if he did, he certainly didn't let me play with his <laughs> lightsaber. I, I'm not sure I asked. I would have been very worried about dropping it or something. Did you let anyone else play with your lightsaber, John? Yeah, but I can't remember who. Was it Hog? Yeah. Anyway, so I was actually staying with friends in Whitley Bay, um, which is nearer to Newcastle than I think I'd realised. That is, it's on the metro. So there is a service into Newcastle every eight minutes. And I was very excited by that. I was like, where else in Britain has a metropolitan railway and a beach? And there's not that many places. So I'm I'm going, oh, oh, I, I, I need a city with a beach. So that would be good. So if you live in a city with a beach, let me know. And I went swimming with Meg and we had formed this plan. This is Meg McDonald, um, excellent promotion joint division head for Glasgow. And we had formed this plan. Um, it's her fault because I was like, I'm not going to go swimming when I'm there because it's going to be the end of October and it will be absolutely perishing. And she went, I'll come swimming with you. It'll be amazing. And then when I got there for our pre-planned arrangement. John was also there and I thought, ah, oh, John is also going to come swimming with us. But in fact, John was just there to point and laugh, um, which he did. Moral support. And we got in the sea and on a scale of one to absolutely perishing, it was about a 12. It was very, very cold. And then we swum and it got, got gradually warmer as the hypothermia set in and we were having quite a nice time. I wasn't feeling all that cold at all. And then I looked at Meg and she looked really quite cold. And I looked at John standing on the shore and he had stopped pointing and laughing and was now shivering and looking very cold. And I was like, oh, maybe it's time to go out. I was not shivering and looking cold. I was doing my Duolingo. Um, but so my pick is swimming in the sea. Sea swimming is very good for your mental health, apparently. Cold water immersion. And although the place that I'm staying at the moment, which is the Lake District, is very nice, it does not have sea, though it does have lakes. But it's the weather's been a bit crap this week for for going in the going in the lakes though i will do next year that's my plan by then i'll have done more wild swimming wild swimming is good for you i felt marvelous ever since i went for that wild swim possibly because i've been on holiday almost all the time and all the rest of the time i've just been telling people nope can't do it going on holiday have to prioritize sorry people who i owe things to <laughs> they'll happen eventually 
what I would like to say is if Alison is going to extol the virtues of sea swimming, then we'll have no more mocking of me being at the beach because I'm just going sea swimming for my mental health. It doesn't work unless it's cold. It doesn't work if your waters are tropical. <laughs> mental health requires pain, Liz. Pain and suffering. Sorry. Yeah, I, 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 that would presumably be one of the quite nice things about Thailand. Does Thailand have any cities that also have beaches? Uh, yes. Yeah, so maybe I should just move to Thailand. John, do you pick? I was torn on my pick, but in the end, I'm going to pick Moon Knight. Uh, I already picked Moon Knight previously, but previously I picked Moon Knight volume... Oh, God, I don't even know. A different Moon Knight volume. Moon, volume 7. Uh, I'm picking Volume 9 this time, which is uh, Jed McKay working with Alessandro Capuccio and Rochelle Rosenberg. And it is very good. I very much liked how weird it is. I've been reading a few like superhero stories recently. I got bored with the current run of Iron Man. Uh, it wasn't very interesting, um, so I stopped reading it. But Moon Knight has kept my interest, uh, mainly because it is very, very strange. I just really like it, and it's good. It's got vampires in. And also, actually, another Marvel thing I really liked was Werewolf by Night, which I watched on the day before Halloween. And uh, that was very good and very spooky. And I very much like that too. So I'm kind of enjoying the the horror angle of Marvel at the moment. It makes me, makes me happy. Either of you watched Werewolf by Night yet? No. It's horror, right? Yeah. And it's, and it's television, right? No. A movie. 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 It is a director Disney Plus film, right? Director Disney Plus. Yep. Yeah. It's like it's sixty-five minutes. It's not a long movie. John, is volume nine of Moon Knight like? Is this like super recent? Like you're reading actual kind of Moon Knight comics as they are published, or are you still kind of catching up on past issues? Well, I'm reading it on Marvel Unlimited, so like I'm not on the bleeding edge because that you can't do on Marvel Unlimited. But, um, but yeah, no, it, is, it launched in 2021 and it is still being published as far as I know. Are you saying that Marvel Unlimited is strictly limited? No, because it has all the Marvel on it, but not up to date. It's, it's six months out of date. I still think that Marvel Unlimited is a very good deal if you're going to read a lot of Marvel comics and you don't mind that they're not bang up to date. I think it's great. Um, I just found I didn't read enough Marvel comics when I had it because there's too much entertainment and not enough time. So Moon Knight came from, I think I'm right in saying Moon Knight came from the original Werewolf by Night run. So uh, so they are connected characters. It does seem like Marvel is going much more into their kind of like mystic, magic. No, not magic, like um, myth, 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 mythic, in their, into their mythic side uh, with Phase 4. And so I'm kind of excited about that. I think that's going to be cool. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it all pans out. Um, for those who are very worried about such things, Werewolf by Night on Disney Plus requires uh, literally no other Marvel to understand. Are you going to watch, either are you going to watch Werewolf by Night? Mm, it's horror. Probably not. I'm I'm just way behind on lots of stuff and it doesn't super duper appeal to me. So I might get to eventually. Fair enough. It's not very positive endorsement. I sound much like The Mandalorian, John, so. I a bit. It's way better than the Mandalorian. It's only six, are you saying it's only sixty-five minutes? You don't need anything else, and it's quite good. Yeah, although if you don't like horror, I don't know how much you'll like it. I like some horror. 
that was the Octothorpe podcast. And it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Right, let's move on. This is a very boring episode so far. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's and that's the after show sorted. I'm I'm glad we're getting all this out of the way. <laughs> the theme music for this episode was "Fanfare for Space" by Kevin McLeod and Competech.com, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. This podcast will end at the beep. Beep. <laughs>